welcome to Dead Headspace, where you can hear us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and many more platforms. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, here with my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Hello. And author, John Horner-Jacobs. Hi. We like to ask our guests usually what got you into horror, but with you, it's a little bit different. You write in many genres, so can you tell us maybe how uh, your journey with horror began? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, uh, you know, I got into horror pretty much because of my dad. Um, when I was growing up, he showed me, I think, I, uh, when I was really young, he showed me the sort of Bella Lugosi's Dracula. And then he showed me like the Abbott and Costello movies that were like uh, Dracula meets Abbott and Costello, Frankenstein. So we watched a lot of the old Universal Monsters movies. And then um, he, he, you know, read me The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, uh, which are, you know, everyone thinks it's fantasy, but there are some heavy horror elements in those, in those um, books. Sure. And, and so I, I was sort of, I was into the darker sort of stuff. And, you know, uh, I found, like, at the school... I was, I went and got, you know, I went and was like, I want to check out Dracula. And they were like, well, you're probably too young. And I was like, well, I want to check it out anyway. And, uh, and they let me. And then, um, you know, I read that. I read uh, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. I read Treasure Island and, you know, a bunch of classics. And then I discovered a guy named John Belair's. Uh, this is like, a, this is like in the 70s and early 80s, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm almost 50. So um, I am. Uh, I was a child of the '70s, and uh, John Belair's. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he was like he he was a, a sort of a, uh, what we would call today a young adult or middle grade author. But this is back before that there were those distinctions. But he did write books for kids, and they were full of like they were full of witches and wizards and like ghosts and curses. And they always they had um, covers by Edward Gorey um, on them, mm. and so that really sort of got me deeper in, into the horror thing. And then you know, and then I like I liked horror movies. And uh, we got uh, my dad. This is like an eight in the early eighties, and I was like ten or eleven. We got. Uh, see, I don't know how old you guys are, but you look like you're younger than I am. Uh, I'm thirty one. Yeah, okay, yeah. Cool. I mean, you guys probably don't remember a time before internet, or I mean, I'm sure you remember a time before internet, but I mean, when when, when I was when I was like ten or eleven, uh, if you got cable television, like I grew up with a, a rotary dial phone uh, t- television, um, that there were four channels: there was ABC, CBS, NBC, and PBS, and then suddenly cable came to Arkansas where I'm from mm. and they gave you a box that was like a, I don't know if I can explain it, but it was like a long rectangular box with 15 buttons and it had a, a toggle at the top that had um, three other buttons, three sort of switches. So you could get like 45 channels of whatever. And, and, uh, and at some point, I discovered if you press down the um, if you press down the uh, 
buttons to either side of the button that you wanted to watch, it would unscramble the signal. <laughs> and I would watch like HBO and whatever. So I started watching, and, and I had to do it sort of like on the sly because I didn't want my parents to realize that I was sort of like stealing HBO and, um, or, or, or Cinemax, or, or, and, but I would watch like late at night, into the night, just like my hands cramping, holding this thing, like so I could unscramble the signal <laughs> and watch, uh, um, you know, horror movies and, and, you know, like movies that had, you know, boobs and stuff. Like, you know, I was, I was a kid, you know, I wanted to see all the illicit, fun stuff. But that's really what got me into, and, and in a lot of those 80s horror movies, both of those things sort of combined. Um, Anyway, so that's really how I, I mean, that's a really abbreviated um, history of like how I sort of really sort of got involved in horror. And, and uh, when I was older, I started like, you know, I had like a, I mean, like I, when I was in my teens, I had like, um, you know, I had a, uh, we had a Betamax and I would record, you know, I'd, we would set stuff for me to record all of the, the horror movies. And, um, I had like a, you know, I had a, a Fangoria subscription. You know, I mean, the, the weird thing about back then in the, in the uh, 70s and 80s is it's not like today um, in the sense that, like right now, there's so much horror, supernatural, science fiction, and fantasy being produced that it's almost too much for one person to watch and consume all that media. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's yeah. just, there's just, it's just an explosion. <laughs> but back then, at this time, uh, like all that stuff, all, science fiction, fancy horror, comics, all that stuff was on the fringes of everything. That was not the predominance of culture. Um, it was geek culture. It was like, it was nerd culture. And, um, you know, it was on the edges of stuff. Like, you know, um, back then, jocks didn't, like, you know, the world has sort of gone under the sea change where, like, they, they play video, like, like I, and I, I think video games are, are uh, a big res are really responsible for how it's been mainstreamed because, like, when I was a kid, you know, you wouldn't find, like, in, any of the guys that I played football with wouldn't, like, I couldn't talk to them about, like, uh, horror movies. They just weren't into it. That's like, mm. you know, it, that was not their, their thing. Uh, probably because they weren't exposed to it, right? Like I had, a, I was very special that my dad was sort of like into showing me these things. Um, but nowadays, like everyone, everyone who plays video games gets this sort of these sort of horror, science fiction, and fantasy concepts, even at a young age. Even if they're not really, um, you know, even if the guys who I would have grown up with played video games, they wouldn't have played like. They might not have played Skyrim, but they would have at least seen it. Like they played fucking Madden or FIFA or or whatever. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying. But at yes. least they would still be ex exposed to some of the fantasy ideas and not think it it like total nerd stuff. So I think uh, the the sort of uh, video games have, have video games, Marvel movies, comics, uh, and role playing, all sort of all mainstream these ideas. So, and now, like, if you look at our culture, it's, it's all, I mean, like, predominant, like, media is predominantly uh, speculative now. It's, I really rambled on there, but. <laughs> we love guests no, that do yeah. that. 
We, we love the long, long drawn out answer to that first question. Um, I would agree with you. I would jump in. Uh, I would agree with a lot of things, but specifically the Marvel movies point. Um, I graduated high school in 04 and I think Iron Man and the Dark Knight were really when that whole boom start, not started, but really took off was um, 08. And you just saw it go from, I mean, when I was in high school, you couldn't like, I, well, nobody knew who Iron Man was, but you definitely couldn't, you know, like him at a football game. You couldn't, you couldn't um, talk about him with just anybody. You couldn't discuss, you know, uh, what the mighty Thor was up to that particular week. And it just kind of brought superheroes, yeah, into the mainstream, but with that, a whole lot of other kind of acceptable areas, like you said, uh, video games and even to a degree fantasy. Um, it's it, I I don't think it's uncool to like Lord of the Rings these days, and um, that's that's definitely a, a, a turnabout from you know I would say the 1970s. I wasn't born in the 1970s, but can you speak <laughs> to that one? <laughs> I mean, what, look when 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 political figures started uh, telling you know using the phrases like. Winter is coming and bend the knee. <laughs> and I, I was like, the, the world has changed. Like, yeah. like, like, like for that to happen, you know, uh, but, you know, I, I guess what I was sort of leading to when I, when I was first started talking is back when I was a kid, I could get, I could pretty much, uh, other than a few things, I was aware of every little bit, every horror movie, every science fiction movie, every, you know, every, which were normally space movies every fantasy movie and I went and saw every one of them. If it was on TV and it had some sort of element like that, I was there for it. You know, um, I remember fighting with my parents that were trying to watch like, uh, Salem's lot when I was a kid and they wouldn't <laughs> let me. And then I walked, like I, I got up and walked in and it's a one scene where the kid is scratching at the window and just being totally fucking traumatized by it when I was a child. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just been a, you know, I, in my life, I've seen it go from being this outsider stuff to like mainstream. And it's great. I love it. But it also means like, I'm always like, oh, not another teen vampire show, you know, like, like, it, it, I mean, I, I've gotten to the point where it's like, it's an embarrassment of riches. You know, are there movies that um, you just sorry, there's a question that I think we're going to. I'm going to forget if we carry on anymore, but is there movies that you watch, uh, let your kids watch um, at an age that wouldn't be quote unquote appropriate uh, for horror or sci really any, any movies along those lines that since you experienced it and you write in these areas here, maybe a little bit more liberal when it comes to that than other parents. Well, I'm really lucky that uh, my, um, my wife is sort of uh, rides pretty tight reins on me. You know, she's, <laughs> she, I mean, she, she was always worried that, um, you know, the, the phones are a thing and it's always being bombarded with visual stimuli. You know, it was, um, it was, uh, so I, I normally, it's been great the last couple of years that my kids got older. Uh, mm. where it's like they're totally fine. They can go see R-rated movies themselves. But, I mean, I guess about 14 or 15, I started showing them more, like, horror-y stuff. Now, what, I, both of them will say that one of their favorite movies is Fright Night, you know. Mm. And and I love that movie. I mean, I like, that's, this is one of my favorites. 
you know, I saw it in the theater multiple times. Um, so, um, getting to watch stuff with them like that, um, is, is really cool. Actually, and like I said earlier, I'm, like, after we finish this, I'm, we're going to go watch Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, starring Billy Zane. What about, um, I, sorry to cut you off, Brennan, I got one more question about this. Kind of similar to that, uh, Creep Show. I just started watching the show. Like, I love the first two films. Start Watched it when I was, like, 12 or 13 on DVD. Um, just started watching the show, the one uh, that just came out uh, this year. And um, I was curious if you watched it. I did. I, I did watch it. What, what did uh, you think? Because there's a lot of names in our our community that wrote for an episode. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I really, um, you know, a lot of it uh, sort of, it went sort of quick, and I watched it uh, in a binge. Uh, okay. Not like a binge, but like I watched it in a binge, so it all uh, sort of blends together. But the one the one I really uh, thought, the first episode was probably the best of the Josh Mallerman and the Stephen King uh, from Night, I think it's the that Night Shift story about the father who's drinking ba- bad beer and turning into this... That, that one, that, those two were great. I, I thought those were great. I thought a few of the other ones were kind of, eh, some of them were hit, some of them were messes. Um, I think they were struggling with some production budget, right? And it's a, it was a shutter. I think it was a shutter thing, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And so I, the, the, some of the budget uh, constraints you could really see, um, uh, I, I remember enjoy, look. I didn't think it was very good, but I remember enjoying the one with um, the actor from the Reanimator series. Um, and I'm blanking on his name right now. I can't remember it. Um, but he played the Nazi in that werewolf one. <laughs> and, you know, and like I love werewolf. Like you know, I, I love the classic sort of universal monster creatures: vampires, werewolves. I love zombies. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a classicist when it comes to like spooky creatures. I mean, I liked that one, but I, I recognize that the one with the Nazis and the werewolves was not really a good piece of uh, horror, but I still liked it anyway. Yeah, that's true. Okay, Brennan, sorry, take the lead, man. <laughs> well, no, I, I was gonna ask you to uh, just kind of take us through your journey into beginning to write. And, you know, maybe you could connect that with the way you kind of grew up and, and enjoyed different genres, um, uh, your, your fantasy and your horror. I'm curious about how how that kind of um, affected your decision on what to try and write when you first started. Uh, yeah. OK. Um, so when I first started writing, I, I did write. Uh, when I was younger, um, like I tried to write stories in high school and in college and I didn't really have a lot of success, you know, um, uh, but, uh, when I was about, so I focused on other things after I got out of college. I mean, you know, like I, I'm a musician. I tried doing that. I went, uh, you know, I played in bands. I, you know, did some like regional touring, nothing you know, girl, but just, you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I always just, I always knew from a, from a young age, I wanted to be, do something creative. So, um, and get paid to be creative. And so I went to, um, uh, I, I got a degree in English 
And then I sort of played in bands and waited tables for years. And then it was hard to make any money. Uh, so I went back to school and got a degree in computer animation. Um, and this is like in 96 or 97, multimedia and computer animation. So I was learning how to make like CD-ROMs and animate, doing like animated, um, you know, like broadcast graphics, not like character animation, you know. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I got in and, and, and I learned how to program websites. And after getting out of that sort of associate's degree program, I immediately got a job and worked in advertising and it's still worked in advertising for the last 25 years, you know, um, or 23, you know, 20 plus years. And, uh, when I was about, um, 37, I was at working at a company that was just like, they just didn't give me any creative. It wasn't creative. I was making good living and, you know, security and all that. I just, this wasn't being creative. And I, you know, I was always had been a, a reader. Like I read when I was young, and in college, and even in my 20s, I'd read five to six novels a week, you know. I could read two, like, you know. I mean, like, like I could, you know, I'm, I'm not saying they're big tones and nice, like, like literary stuff, but it would be like I'd, I'd go to a used bookstore and get a, a bucket full of books or a box full of books and come home and just burn through them, you know, at w- one every day, you know. I'd That's wake like up. Um uh, yeah, so I read. I mean, I read a lot, and at some point, you, you sort of you get tired of reading, you know, all this stuff. Especially in the '90s or like the '80s and '90s, like there's just a lot of trash being written back then. Like, like there's a lot of bad stuff being written back then. Um, so I started looking at. I started reading crime. I started reading other stuff. I got really into some hard sci-fi. I got really into southern literature. And like then, you know, I was, you know, I, I went to college and got into English, so I started getting into more like lit- literary, you know, authors and classical uh, <laughs> authors uh, and works. And then, um, so anyway, I had kept up that reading habit until, I, you know, most of my life, you know, it slows down. You just don't have time because life gets in the way. But um, by the time I was 37, I was like, what am I going to do? You know, like this, this job, I'm, I'm not really energized with this job. I want to do something creative. I wasn't playing music anymore. So I went to the bookstore and was just sort of looking around and I saw um, this book, uh, 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 No Plot, No Problem, a high-speed guide to writing a novel in 30 days. It was written by the guy, I think his last name is B-A-T-E-Y, Batty, Batty. Anyway, he's the founder of the National Novel Writing Month. And this was like October 15th. And I read it. I read the book in like one, one hour. It was, you know, it's a very slim thing. It's not like I'm like a speed reader or anything. But, and, um, and, uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm a sign for the National Novel Writing Month. And over the next 15 days, I sort of took all the stuff I was interested in at the time and tried to just create a story about it. And that happened to be like, uh, you know, 50s A&R agents and, you know, blues music and pirate radio stations and, you know, Lovecraft, you know, Lovecraftian gods. And I took all that and sort of put it into the, the sort of plot of Southern gods. And for the next, you know, once National Novel Writing Month started, I wrote uh, 50,000 words. I, did, I, you know, it was like 1,600 a day or something. I, and I, I did it. And then but the, the book wasn't finished. 
And so I spent the next four or five months finishing it and polishing it up, and that's how I sort of wrote the first book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, Nano Write, um, National <clears throat> Novel Write Month. I, I did that last year, and actually, um, sorry to derail to me real quick, just to kind of relate that I tried it once. That was last year. And I wrote um, the first story that I wrote when I was a teenager, only I adapted it from a screenplay that sucks, but I turned it into a, a fifty thousand word novel. Man, it's it's crazy. That that's an accomplishment in itself. What you did, plus you stuck with it, and you turned it into a book that went re- like it's it's clearly very popular. It did well. Um, yeah, it's like it's what's crazy to me is it's like it remains my most popular book, and I feel like I've gotten to be like a better writer and a better storyteller, but. People are like, nah, we just like this first one you did. Fuck these other ones, you know. Is that it was a, uh, it was nominated for a Stoker, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, but you know, to to me, it's almost like you kind of took a lot of passions and poured it, poured them all into one place. And you know, they always say, write what you write the story you want to read, write the story that um write the story that's in you. And I mean, that's so if you're basically pouring all the things you're passionate about. Uh, together granted it could end up a soupy mess but it also is def- that that kind of passion for it is is it's going to shine through people are going to pick up on that I, I hope so i mean you know i think it, it hit a few sweet spots in the sense that you know, david morell i think it's david morell who wrote uh first blood and a, a host of other books said that people don't want any people want 70% familiar and 30% new. But, but I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, in the end, like a lot of what we write is comfort in the sense that, that people want it to be entertained, right? And um, and so I, I just sort of stumbled on, upon like getting close to that sort of nice formula in that first book. Um, you know, I feel like I've done it in the, the, the previous books, but here's the, here's the reality is, the world loves new new things. The world loves new people on the scene, debuts, and you just you never like if I could tell any author uh, who's coming out with their first book that one thing it would be, you know, um, like plan and, and and use your debut uh, well because it's probably the time you will get the most attention in your career. I mean, it just that's just the sort of the reality of things. I mean, it might not be the tr- it might not be uh, true forever. I mean, you can like you can look at a lot of careers that sort of like have big 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 intro and then sort of dip, and then over the decades later they start rising. And George R. R. Martin is one of them. But um, you know, he's had he had so many failures that he got out of writing and went to Hollywood. And look what happened to him. You know. So uh, did I answer the question, or did I just? I forgot what the question was, so let's say yes. <laughs> now, uh, skipping an absolute ton of your catalog, although I'd love to come back to it later, um, you wrote kind of a sequel to Southern Gods for your new book out, uh, as, as we're recording this out yesterday, called Murder Ballads and Other Horrific Tales. Um, did you kind of have the seed of that story from when Southern Gods was released, or... Uh, did you kind of feel a little bit of pressure because that's one of your more popular works? You know, I um, I didn't 
I, I didn't feel any pressure to do that. Like, you know, you don't get like an author at my area, which I'm, I'm a, I'm a comfortable established author. I guess you'd call me a mid-list author. Um, I can still get published, but like, you know, you know, like, I, I'm doing, I'm doing well. I'm getting, my books are getting published. I'm getting deals. Uh, I'm starting to get published in other countries. Um, you know, I have some things on the horizon I can't talk about that, you know, are, would be game changing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, there's no, like my, my, my publishers aren't going, Hey man, we really want to follow up to this. We, we, we you know, I mean, no one's banging on my door to get, you know, a follow up to any of my books. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I have some fans that are like, dude, I've got to hear more about this. And I'm just like, ah, that's done. But, um, but I did, um, so my, my previous book, um, Election Seating Hell, I, I did revisit some of the themes of Southern Gods, which was a sort of intersection between roots music and superstition and the supernatural. And in the course of writing that, uh, that book called My Heart Struck Sorrow, um, so a luscious seething hell has two uh two long short i mean two short novels in the one novella and one short novel uh uh so in the course of writing that i was like you know i have an idea if i was going to revisit southern god i you know maybe i do have one last thing i can say but it's not worth writing a full book about and then this um this collection sort of fell in my lap my agent was like hey um, this publisher said they, they want to publish your backlist that doesn't have any audiobooks. They really just wanted them for audiobooks. Because right now, audiobooks are what's making the most money in publishing, I think. I mean, so uh, she was like, okay. Uh, I, well, she asked me, do you want to, you know, sell your backlist to them? And I was like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to sell my backlist to them. I mean, uh, like, it's not making money for me. Like, um, like this, let's, yeah, let's let them have the audio rights. That, that was all they wanted. And she was like, well, they want, they would like it if you also did something new with them, like a collection. Um, and all you got to do is write one new story for it. Like, and I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, this, like, this, this is just selling my lap, right? You know, sure. Yeah, it's like, okay, let's do it. And, um, but then I was thinking about, like what I could do and, and how I could make this um, collection distinct and maybe earn me a little bit more money. Uh, and coupled with that, I had one more idea about a story I could tell about the, the, the characters um, that I was like, yeah, all right. And so I, I just sort of expanded it to a novella. They didn't pay me any more money or anything, but, um, but it didn't matter because it, I'm not like, uh, I think, as far as, if I remember correctly, you know, I normally, like, in books I get, you know, an advance and all that stuff, but with this one, it's just like, I just get royalties. So, like, working extra hard on it is just, it's just, I just wanted to do, to do that. I mean, you know, I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like, and so, also, I was like, all right, I tell you what, that's fine. I'm also like, you're not going to do the cover art. I'll do the cover art. I'll take care of the cover art. Not, not like, not like I'm going to do the art for it, but like I will take care of, of making sure that I get a cover that I want. Right. And they were like, okay. I mean, 
so all I do is get royalties. I mean, they, they didn't put any money up front for that, for this collection. So it was like no skin off their back. And honestly, I, I'm a award-winning designer and, um, in that job of my life. So, I mean, I didn't have to like really twist their arm, but it's like, and I'm not doing this to dog them, and I'm not even going to name them, but, I mean, I can do a better job than they can. Um, so um, I, what I did was I went and contacted my friend, the artist Jeffrey Allen Love, who did the cover art to my previous book, and I was like, I want to use this art you did as a concept for my previous book because it still works for this new book. And he was like, yeah, 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 and we worked out a deal. So, I, you know, I took care of all that. But, but um, so if you look at that book, this collection, it, it families very nicely with my, my last book. Mm. It has the same look. It has the same style. And, it, and, so, I, and, and so I was able to, um, because they didn't pay me anything up front for it, I was able to take control of it and sort of make sure I had the, what, exactly what I wanted. And, and I really liked that sort of level of control. Um, you don't get it when they pay you a big advance. They're like, no, no, no. <laughs> hey, homeboy, you back up. We're, we're going to do what we're going to do. And you just like, we'll, we'll show you stuff and you can say if you like it or not. But, uh, yeah, so. And, and if you don't that. like it, too bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, exactly. I mean, seriously, but, like, you have, no, like, as an author with, like, uh, HarperCollins, I have no say in the cover. I mean, normally ed- editors will be like, sure, okay, if you hate it, like, we're not going to saddle you with this. But, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I wrote it, and then I had one other story that was unpublished. It was like a crime noir piece, and so I put that in there, too, and then I got all the, all, all the stories, my best stories, which I don't write a lot of short stories, so, and they tend to be long stories. So I got all of them and sort of put them together and, it took me, I mean, it wasn't that big of a deal. It took me like a month to write the novella. That's not a lot of writing time. And I, I like, I like where it turned out, uh, how it turned out. And, um, it, it's a nice selling point for the book because, you know, people like Southern Gods for some reason. And, and, um, so there's, you know, it's got a, a little novella that's a sequel to it. Uh, I mean, I think one of the more fun pieces in, uh, I'm not, Flagging it. I mean, it's a good, it's a great little work piece. I like it. But I guess my favorite story is in there is I had this Viking story, which was just the most fun I had writing a story in a long time. Just because Vikings are fun. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't hurt to have another Viking story. Yeah. Um, so I was reading your blog today, and there was, it was a powerful piece. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I would like to read at least a little bit of it, if that's okay. Because I... I have no idea what it's about, but okay. I, I love it. Uh, so it's titled Murder, Ballads, Final Cover, and Other Horrific Details of Modern Life. And it just says, the world has gone mad. No, the world hasn't gone mad. The world's madness has progressed enough that even myopic, privileged people like me can see it plainly. America is coming apart at the seams. We're ruled by kleptocratic death cult of the Republican Party and our uh, our petty narcissistic president is the head of the crime syndicate. A pandemic sweeps through the population without check from the cor- corrupt government. Meanwhile, a well-equipped army occupies every city and town across the nation to quell uh, revolts with extreme prejudice. The American police force, black men and women, are killed with in- 
impunity and without repercussion. Native Americans are subjected by American armed forces, even to this day. <laughs> and I like this part. And Shrimp Dick, walking pieces of excrement, white men are con- <laughs> conniving and secretly planning a second civil war, the Boogaloo. Karens run rampant throughout Payless shoe stores, calling the cops if a black man steps out of line. It all makes me sick still. I didn't mean to really laugh at that because it's serious. It was just funny how you worded that. I want to bring that up because it's it sounds like you're just na- you're writing a narrative for this fucked up dystopian that you're like, that's not real, but it's real. And it's it's somehow getting worse. Um and it absolutely reads like the back a back cover synopsis as well, um, which is again not really funny, but yeah, it's 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 that's that's satire. It's I bring it's stranger than fiction. Absolutely. Now I, mean, uh, I don't know how many times this year I've seen people tweet. If this had been in a movie, I would say no, no, that's no, you lost me. It's too it's too much. You know, fucking like, murder hornets. Yeah. <laughs> the I mean, murder hornets are on or overkill. <laughs> I just find it very weird how at one point that there's statistics throughout the world about the pandemic and they're like, hey, this is what can stop it or at least not stop it. But this is going to keep it um, from preventing it from spreading. And people are like, America, fuck that. My freedoms. Yeah. It's crazy to me how stupid people are. And it made me realize that I talked to people at work know I'm a writer. So I just said, like, if I wrote this, I wouldn't believe it. I'd be like, no one's this dumb. Yeah. Well, I mean, apparently, yes. So there's like 33% of America is this dumb. So I'm just curious as a, as, as an, as a writer yourself. What does this do for you? Because we can't help but think about what would, as fucked up as it may sound, and I'm not trying to make light of it, we can't ever help but think about a story in any event. So as a writer, if you don't mind, like, what is this everything, not just the pandemic? How does that play out through your head? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I really... <laughs> You know, in some ways, it's just, I, you know, I've started doom scrolling. Like, just, like, can't stop. I'm, I'm, I'm starting, you know, I'm, I'm at home. I've been at home since March 15th or March 14th or something, you know, working from home. I don't leave a lot um, to limit my exposure because I'm the breadwinner of the, of the family. My wife tends to do all the shopping. So, I mean, I, I literally just sort of have been in this house for three months. I'm starting to get insomnia. I'm starting to become, an, you know, an insomniac. You know, I, because it's so sedentary, I, I you know, I take, take walks and, you know, do some, some, you know, some work around the house and yard. But um, because it's sedentary, I've moved to like a one meal a day uh, thing. So I'm not just like becoming a 300 pound, you know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, you know, yep. like it, it's just like, it's kind of like, I don't know. I'm like mentally, I'm in a bad. Obviously, you can just read that that I that I put on my blog. I mean, um, I'm just in, I'm in a bad mental state, and I find myself retreating into the work, like retreating into. I'm I'm doing a. I mean, guys, I, I I mean, I've gone a little crazy in the sense that, like so. I started playing D and D with a, a group of people, um, and. 
uh, I, I'm GMing and doing it on Roll20, which is a platform. And then I was like, uh, you know, and I bought like a module and it's their world. And I was like, nah, fuck this. And I've created the fucking world, a map. A map. I created the histories, the, the pantheon, the gods. I literally got a, a Swedish list. I don't know if you know what a Swedish list is. I don't know what that is. A Swedish list is a list of words that are like 300 to 500 words that are the sort of building blocks of any language. And I built two languages for this fucking world. <laughs> um, I mean, like, fucking, like, crazy, crazy shit I'm doing. I mean, not, not, I mean, it's just like, but I'm doing stuff to sort of stop me from thinking about all the shit that's going I'm hiding. I, I mean, I'm literally burying my head in my work. You know, I started a new book. I'm writing a, a new book, and I'm totally, like, actually pumped about this book. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, but then I'm also like, you know what? I'm fucking going to illustrate it with wood, with, with, uh, liner cuts, which are like, like pressing, like wood, wood etchings. And, uh, oh, so I've been, I've been doing, uh, yeah, it's all, it's on my Twitter and uh, Instagram feed. You can see that shit. But okay. like, I'm like, I, I'm, um, you know, I, I'm literally going a little bit cuckoo with the, with the work. But it's all sort of like I'm throwing up these walls that are just trying to fend off, you know, just total panic because it's just so it's so bad and it's just getting worse every second. I mean, literally, uh, I mean, the highest like like all like me staying home for the last three months, um, like all that like like I made that sacrifice for nothing because they reopened too early and now we're getting the highest amount in cases. You know, Texas is 97% capacity of ICUs. I mean, people, like, in two weeks, people, like, like the death toll is going to be outrageous. I don't think people understand. Uh, I mean, like, this is, like, we are in a dystopia. And it's, and it's, a, it's the dumbest dystopia. It's a stupid dystopia. And it's, it is done, it's, it's, uh, and it's, you know, it's not and it, like as much as I hate Trump, it's not just him. I mean, it's it's just the whole Republican machinery, and it's not just the Republican machinery. It's like the whole corporate feudalism of America um, that that is just all geared to you know to this, and this is the result. It's it, just the pandemic alone. Just look, man, I'm open about it. I say fuck Trump all the time. Just him alone. Like, you got a guy that... Uh, he's just a walking clown that spews shit all the time. It's insane. There's so many... I want a new version of this reality. Like, I don't understand. I, I can't keep up with one thing, because then the second thing piles on it. Yeah. And it's very odd, because... But that's their thing. That's their thing. It's like, one thing... They know one thing might bother you, like like the fact that he knew that Russians were targeting American troops and offering bounties to the Taliban to kill American troops, but he knew about it two, two months ago. Right. So he'll do something or say something outrageous, get the next day the news cycle rolling about that. I mean, they are just, like, if they can't stop him, they are just going to give you too much shit to consider. I mean, it's just, it's, it's like, where do you stop? I mean, he ever, like, there are multiple things that he's done that are worthy of, um, 
um, no, you know, in, another impeachment. But they're not going to do it because the Senate is fucking controlled by Republicans. And it's like we have a few months. We have uh, until like we have a chance to get yeah. back control. And, um, and, and I'm not just talking about with Trump. I'm talking about with all the Senate seats that, that are available. And it's just like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I, I don't know if you guys are Republican or whatever, but I am, I'm really Democratic, um, uh, even though I live in a Republican state. Uh, in the beginning of the show, I just said I just don't want to talk about politics, but there's come a time a few months ago when talk I was about just, horror and not talking about politics. I, I know. Uh, eventually, I was like, uh, nah, you know, I don't give a fuck. Talk about whatever you want because but, interesting things will come out of it. Sorry, go ahead, Brian. No, um, I was gonna say I don't know if any of you guys watched it, but when the show 24 was on, my wife and I were big fans. We we would watch it every week, and I remember there was a season early on, two, three, something like that, where they invoked the 25th Amendment and said that the president was unfit to perform his duty. And I don't remember what the reasoning was, but I remember it was a whole lot less of a stretch than about 50 things that you could pull out of your ass right now. And that's a dramatization. That's a, that's, that's a, you know, concocted by Hollywood writers dramatization. Um, it's, it's just fucking wild. And, you know, John, you said, you know, that it's not just Trump. Um, and you're right. It's, there's a whole like bevy of everything, but he's also normalized it. You know, if you had a Senator, uh, who was just spewing, either hateful things or just over the top absurd stupid things um like you know anti-mask rhetoric and and whatnot you would have had somebody above that person uh four years ago eight years ago um who would say you're acting like an asshole you know in more political (laughs) terms um and not that it necessarily would have been quashed, but at least the general public would have seen somebody in charge calling out people for acting like just complete and utter dildos. Um, I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, you know, fish rocks from the head down, but there was some other rock going on. Like, you know, arguably McConnell has done more to erode, you know, our, our, our democracy than Trump has. Through, you know, but I don't know. I mean, it, it's bad, but we have a chance. We have a chance to sort of regain control and, and, and sort of start riding the ship again before we totally, you know, I mean, people are like literally uh, our government's inability to lead right now is uh, pe- people are dying because of it. And, and, and like there are as many people dying every day as is um, that died in 9/11, and that that set the fucking world on it set the world on its edge for years, and, yeah. and and we have that happening every day, and it's it is a gross dereliction of our leadership that they can't even like they're trying to remove like also just like trying to remove ACA during a pandemic, um, like I, it's. I don't know. You're right. We shouldn't have started talking about it because. <laughs> well, now we're on, now we're on a downhill slide. Uh, I got a good one. Did you say you're in Texas? No, I'm in I'm in Arkansas, but we are. Okay. You know. All right. I I was I I noticed earlier that uh, actually I saw it yesterday. First thing in the Houston area that people were receiving. You know those um 
emergency alerts you get with like you know an amber alert that you get on your phone people are getting those saying you have to stay inside it's so bad um and that you know it just absolutely ties into the fact that like there there are entire states run by people who legitimately believed oh this is a hoax you know that the 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 chinese the italians they started this to you know overthrow democracy oh my god I, I, I well, can't. <laughs> here's here's my thought on that. There's a, there's a law, and I'm, I think it's like Sayers Law. It, it is um, don't ascribe to malice what can be explained by stupidity, right? Um, but I, with with the, the Texas governor, with my own governor, I I am ascribing it to malice, and the malice comes from um, I, don't, I don't think I don't think these men are stupid. They, they aren't, but they are owned by commerce. They're, you know, they got into the office through donations to people. And it's like, we're not going to allow the years of commerce to come to a stop. And that means keeping our states open. And it's all blue state. I mean, it's all, not blue states, it's all red states, southern states. Uh, and these guys, you know, these guys are just going to, uh, uh, they have, they have their, you know, gods that they worship, and those gods have their hooks into them, and they can't really uh, say no to. And when I say gods, I'm saying, like in Arkansas, Walmart, Tyson Foods, these big. You know, you can't you can't shut down the economy, uh, and without Walmart and Tyson going, uh, uh-uh, no, no, you're not going to do that. We we donated this amount of money to your campaign. You're going to keep. You're not going to say that everyone has to. Home. You're not going to issue that order, and that's that's just the reality of it. And I just think that's the same way with the Texas governors. I don't think I don't think they're I don't think they be, they might say that dumb shit, but I don't think they believe it. I, I do think they're they're it's malice. Um. Anyway, but yeah, or <laughs> what a great segue. So hey, let me ask you a much more fun question. Um, You had mentioned that, you know, the project you're working on now, the novel you're working on now, that you're um, creating linotypes to basically uh, include illustrations with it. And I did see some of those. They are absolutely awesome looking, Um, that coming from a failed art major in college. So, I mean, take that for what you will. Um, (laughs) So I'm curious, did you, is that something you would maybe always like to have done and just didn't have the time or did you just say fuck it i'm gonna go crazy if i you know don't come up with something to keep myself busy yeah so uh i mean you know i I, you know i drew when i was a kid a lot i was a pretty you know i had pretty good you know hand skills you know drawing so i i I did a lot of drawing and then when i went to school it required when i got, got the associate's degree in computer uh animation and multimedia it was technically an art degree so I had to take life, life drawing classes and, and whatever and, and like color theory and all, all the, the design and art stuff. Or I, I like to do that because I was interested in that. So I have some training in some, some art like that. And then, you know, in my job, I, I'm a, I am a, I am a designer, um, and sometimes illustrator in, on very small things. Um, and have been for over 20 years. So, you know, I'm still exercising those design muscles. Uh, so I, I know how to, I mean, I know how to um, sort of com- make a composition and whatever. I mean, I'm not the greatest artist in the world. And, and I actually, I did have a conversation with my agent and an artist, like asking them, 
are these good? I mean, are the are these good enough to be in a book? You know, and you know, the, the honest answer was, yeah, they are. Um, but you know, I'm always, I you know, I look at them and be like, I wish I could have done that better. I wish I could have done that better. You know, I wish I was a better like I I wish I had better hand skills. But the cool thing about a line of cut is once you take your your drawing and you sort of get it on the board that you're going to carve it out of, it um, it it takes on the sort of magical sort of roughness that makes it look older, like it makes it look from a almost from a different time. That and that actually happens to sort of really work well with the book I'm writing because you know I, I'm leaning into the things I'm good at and I'm pretty good at historical fiction. Uh, and so I'm, this book takes place in the 1800s, you know, and so, um, anyway, I'm, I'm, um, yeah, I, I I'm really work, working, I say I'm working hard at this, but, uh, I haven't done it for the, this week cause it's all been leading up to, um, this, this book release. Oh, that's a valid reason. Hmm. Um, uh, Brennan, did you have another question about this book or did you want to move on? Uh, I actually have a question about your um your the book that you have uh, out yesterday, Murder Ballads. Now, forgive me if this is bullshit, but because uh, I heard it secondhand. But um, I read a review, and I won't throw the re- the poor reviewer under the bus that said that they had read. You said this is probably the only time you'll release a collection. Is that true? Well, I mean, so yeah, the I mean. It is probably the only time I, uh, I will write a collection because I don't write a lot of short stories. I mean, I just, you know, that's just not what I focus my attention on. Um, I, um, you know, in short stories, like, not this sounds just absolutely mercenary, but um, short stories don't have a lot of money in, in them either. Um, but, I mean, I do write them occasionally when I'm asked to contribute to anthologies, and for some reason, I I just don't get, I don't get asked to contribute to that stuff a lot um, for whatever reason. So whenever I gestate an idea that's worthy of me taking some time out, it usually tends to grow. It usually, like I said in the intro that they took that from, it tends to grow appendages and sort of uh, tissues like the creature in the thing and sort of become something larger the more I think about it. And so I just, I, I really sort of like sinking my teeth into uh, novels um, I mean, but don't get me wrong. I think writing short stories is probably the highest form of fiction because it's, every word counts. You know, it's so, it's so difficult. And I don't think I'm particularly good at it. I mean, I think these stories are good. I'm proud of them. Um, but there, I just, I, like, you know, I, every writer has some, like, uh, imposter syndrome and insecurities. Like, I just read a lot of really great writers, and I just know how far my work is from theirs. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so, so I, you know, uh, yeah. So, I mean, right now, I say that now, like, prob- I probably won't write another one, but you know, it's a long career. I might, I might, uh, throw out another one. Like, but, like, I'm not a guy like John Langan who, who, like, puts out a collection every couple of years and they're all fucking amazing stories, <laughs> right? Or, or, or Brian Evenson. You know, these are guys who are, like, really great at writing short stories. Um, you know, or Kelly Link, or, or like this. You know, there's just people who are just exceptional at that, and that's their preferred sort of um, form. And it's just not mine. Mine is the mine is the the novel is my mm. preferred form. But um, yeah, I mean, I might if I go through a period of just 
saying, hey, fuck it, I'm going to write some short stories. <laughs> That's always possible. I mean, I had, like, I, like I, and I'm not to downplay myself because all those people um, like that uh, have written short stories and are awesome. I mean, I've had a story in Playboy magazine. That's the... That's probably the second most exclusive magazine to get a story in, the first being The New Yorker. I mean, I got paid more for that story than a lot of people got paid for their first novel. How'd that happen? Uh, well, my, uh, my agent, that's the only um, short story she's represented um, of mine. She just sent me an email saying, hey, I had a conversation with an editor at Playboy, and if you have anything you think will could suit them, um, yeah, I'll send it over to him. And I, I was like, no, but I have an idea for a short story that I would write. And I did, which was like, I, I liked, uh, when I was younger, I read a lot of John Updike, and I had a story for sort of a John Updike kind of 70s couple uh, story meets um, superheroes. And I, I wrote it, um, and, and here's the thing, it's like, Unless you have that, uh, I can put it on my website, which I need to do. But like the, the the contract stipulated that I can never resell that story. I can never like it. It, it only exists in Playboy. Playboy can do whatever can do stuff with it, but I can't ever re- do anything else with it. And um, but I can put it on my web my website. Huh. So um, yeah, no, no. I mean, it's just like it's just. They don't have uh, film. They don't have film or audio rights, but they have they have the rights to the story in perpetuity. But they paid enough for those rights, and I and like I I, I don't really feel bad about it. But um, <laughs> that's gonna feel good because I'm not the most knowledgeable guy with like Playboy uh, stories, <laughs> but. The only other author I've heard that has a story in there is Stephen Cake, so that's a pretty good company to be with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Patrick doesn't pick it up for the articles. Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> Somebody had to say it. Yeah. So, I, uh, John, we I talked about I, your... Go ahead. No, I was like, I think I did post on Facebook when it came out. I was like, imagine that. I said, like, all my high school friends. Imagine that. Out of all of us, I'm the first one to have their picture in Playboy. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a handsome man. Um, just a time check, because you said you got an hour. Just wanted to check with you. We are at 57 minutes almost. So uh, how much more time do we get with you? Yeah, just, and, you know, I'm fine with a couple more questions, a few more questions. Sure. Just don't ask me about politics. <laughs> we, we, we'll we'll curb that. We'll leave that behind for now. Um, so, John, we talked about your first novel and we talked about your newest collection and literally nothing in between. So I'm wondering what in your body of work uh, would you like to see kind of get a little bit more love? Uh, OK, I'll, I'll say I mean, I'm very proud of everything I've written. I love my young adult series. I think it's really original and unique. Uh it starts with the Twelve Finger Boy, and it has other ones. Uh, but I love my fantasy series, and I think horror people would like my fantasy series. Um, it's you know, it's kind of epic fantasy, but it's kind of weird West as well. It's it, um, an alternate history, and um, it's it's dark. Um, and you know, I love it. I mean, I've gotten a lot of attention for this last book I wrote, uh, Lush and Seething Hell. It really sort of um, it sort of 
connects to Southern Gods and some of my other works. They're sort of like a fabric. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm still sort of in promotion mode for that book because the, the paperback comes out next month for it. Um, uh, I've got some, you know, there's just some interesting, let's just call it left coast related things regarding that book that, um, are, are, you know, are possibly on the horizon that I can talk mm. about. So, um, you know, I'm still like really jazzed about that book and it's probably the best thing I've ever written. It is more on the literary end of the horror spectrum. Um, so, and all that entails, um, which means like, you know, maybe not all your, like, you know, one of the things about like, um, horror, a lot of horror writers is they want to answer every question and wrap up everything and just give you, give you all the answers and every explanation for all the occurrences. And, so, and literary fiction tends to sort of tend toward the questions are actually sometimes more important than the answers. And that's where, um, uh, Lush and Seething Hell falls. I don't always like everything being answered, especially when it comes to, like, that's why I like Hellraiser 1 so much, because I'm pretty sure, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're like, who's who's that guy, who's Pinhead, Cenobites, like, I know their name, but that's pretty much it, it adds to the mystery factor, and the creep feet, creepy factor. Yeah, yeah. Um... There is a neat quote that I really like by Patrick Rothfuss. For those that don't know who he is, he's a huge fantasy author. Um, And he said, as far as that trilogy goes, that it is one part ancient Rome, two parts Wild West, one part Faust, a pinch of Tolkien, um, of Lovecraft, and of Dante. That's that's a lot of interesting things mixed in one recipe. I want yeah. to have that based off of that quote. Well, it's, it's kind of set in a world where, um, well, it's not kind of, it is set in a world where um, uh, sort of a uh, country ana- analogous to um, Rome is sort of pushing westward into um, into these sort of unexplored territories and dealing with the creatures they find there. And uh, the whole that whole world runs on... Um, Infernal combustion is what, what I like to call it in the sense that it's bound, it's like people, the men who are called engineers, which are really summoners, raise and bind demons in engines to power the world. Um, and so, you know, the guns, every gun has a, you know, bound in every, you know, round. Um, so, you know, it, it very much exists on this sort of, um, alternate reality world where um, uh, you know it's kind of spaghetti western. It's kind of um, you know a horror novel. It's kind of um, a fantasy novel in the sense. I mean, it is a fantasy. It's all fantasy, and it becomes more so the longer it goes on. But um, yeah. What um are you a history fan at all? A history fan? Yeah. I mean, I, I, yes. I mean, I write historical fiction, so I mean, it's like. It's not even that I'm a fan. It's like I'm a, I'm a, I am a dilettante student of it. I ask because I'm getting that impression the more you talk about your stories. Um, I'm curious if you have one area where you are particularly drawn to over others. Um, for a long time, it was Rome uh, that, that highly influenced 
I read like, man, I've read in the course of my career, I don't know, man, hundreds of books about Rome, but also like hundreds of novels set in Rome. I love like Roman sort of dramas. Uh, so that was a big influence. Um, uh, but no, I mean, you know, it was nice. You know, you learn how to research something and you, and on the one hand, every time you write a book, you have to do it differently and you have to learn the process all new, but you don't have to learn how to, how to research stuff again. Mm. So in some ways, when you're doing work like that, you might have to learn how to write the whole thing differently, but you don't have to learn how to research it. And, and like when I was uh, asked to do the um, swords versus Cthulhu story, um, and I chose Vikings. I was like, awesome. So when I started researching it and reading the books and everything and putting just a lot more work into it than I needed to, mm. um, probably, um, it was great because it was like, I, the, like I have muscle memory on this. Like I might not know what I'm going to go on the story, but I know how to research this and get the details I need and figure out like what, 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 what details I want to show, what I don't. And it was cool. That, and it, and once, once I was researching it, it started to inform the story, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, um, so, but you know, like I'm for my new book, I'm, I'll, I'll give you guys an exclusive in my new book. The sure. title, the, the title is tentatively called a gentleman of Carpathia. And mm. I'm, I'm doing a lot of research on, uh, Hungary in the 1800s. And, um, so, you know, I didn't think I would be that interested in it, but it's really just really super fascinating stuff. Like, you know, history, you know, a lot, a thing that a lot of people don't, people who like fiction and fiction solely don't realize that, that a lot of nonfiction writers are really good writers. Yeah. And, and, and nonfiction can be at times as exciting as fiction. And I don't know if you ever read The Devil in the White City, which is a nonfiction book. But that, that guy knows how to write in a way that is just as engaging as any – he's as good or better than any fiction writer. Um, so, anyway, um, uh, I've really sort of discovered how good um, nonfiction can be and enjoyable. And, uh, you know, I really, I really like reading it. So, but it, And you never know what you're going to – you know, you, you never know what's going to sort of excite you uh, like that. I mean, you just sure. have to sort of – um, I didn't think I, I didn't really think I'd be that uh, jazzed about. I was just sort of like I don't think I need need to get an understanding of the political socio political situation for veracity, but I don't need to really dive deep. You know, I don't really need to dive deep into uh, Hungarian history. And then I'm like, oh shit! Now I need to figure out about the Dacians. I need to figure out about how, how they did glasswork. You know, like I started to get, you know, yeah. So I mean, it, I don't know what's going to sort of grab me, but. It, it uses something does, you know, it's just like the whole language thing. I'm, I'm, I'll, you know, I'm almost obsessed. You know. Recently I've become a little bit manic about stuff like that. <laughs> I, I understand. Have you, um, if you haven't, I highly recommend this. Have you seen on Netflix Roman empire? Uh, it's a three season docuseries. I, I think I watched the first, uh, few episodes where it has some info and then has a little bit of dramatization. Yeah. Um, um, and and honestly, that um, there's a couple things working against me on that one. One is like I just spent years writing this sort of Roman thing, 
Okay. And I just sort of, I've just sort of come to my, and it, like, this came to my end on like being that fascinated by it. Um, and uh, the other thing was, uh, I, I think the the whole sort of going back and forth between um, facts, like like nonfiction, and in the sort of storyline. I don't know. This wasn't working for me. Okay. Um... Just real quick, what it is for anyone that might be interested. Season one covers Commodus. It's called Commodus Reign of Blood. It's before Julius Caesar, uh, which is season two focuses on Julius Caesar, master of Rome, from the beginning to when he has his sudden downfall. And the third one is Caligula, the Mad Emperor. That title alone should give you a few insights on what to expect. It's just uh, that way to lo- that way to live. Um, very few had it good. Most had it shitty. <laughs> you don't have any health care. Uh, basically do what they say. Well, yeah. But I think, uh, I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, you know, there was um, a million people around the time of uh, the end of the Republic living in Rome. A million people in an ancient world city. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it had a robust system of government that our government is based on. Right. Uh, it had plumbing. It did have health care. It had barbers, which which served as surgeons. It had civil engineers. It had a lot of stuff going for it, like it, like like structurally. But a lot of that was powered on slavery, and mm. um, that's not. I mean, obviously, that's not good. Um, but they lived a, um, you know, they lived a life not too dissimilar from ours, um, in the sense that there was a lot of industry, there was a lot of intelligence, uh, like there was a lot of academia. There, I, I mean, um, there were a lot of craftsmen and craftspeople, and um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's a common idea that, that, that like that people in that time they were, I mean, they were extremely cultured in our vein, like. I don't know if you know about juvenile, but this one no. I got in, I got into a small Twitter beef with this one guy who was quoting juvenile. Um, ridiculous! I'm getting into a Twitter beef with an author about fucking ancient writings of Rome. But juvenile made a um, like this guy was saying, look how terrible these Romans were about this, and he was talking about this festival of. Um, uh, I can't remember the festival off the top of my head, um, but it was one of the festivals in which an inversion takes place. Like, like instead of uh, instead of the head of household being in charge, the lowest person in the household becomes, you know, like whatever. And um, and it was this. The guy was using it to prove his point that always people were bad like this. And I was like, listen, man, I don't think you understand juvenile. Juvenile's like uh, writings are like in a lot of ways so satirical like he's overemphasizing he's taking a position and dramatizing it in the exact same way that um that uh that Stephen Colbert did <laughs> um and, and, and it's just you don't re- uh, you don't really realize it but you're using this in, in in the exact opposite way that he intended it because he's literally doing a Stephen Colbert but which was like you know when, when Stephen Colbert started he was like a faux conservative and like so outrageously conservative, and that's what uh, juvenile. Uh, wait, is it juvenile or juvenus? I might be totally 
Anyway, it was a long time ago. I double-checked it before I got in the beef, though. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, um, uh, you know, that, that whole, I was just like, that whole idea that, like, they couldn't be refined enough to have sort of comedy like Stephen Colbert is just, it's kind of like, oh, we're only the, we're the only smart ones. It's not like we're any smarter than the Roman. We're just, we just have a lot more history and, you know, technology at our disposal. Sure. Yeah, they had a mail yeah. system. They had a library. I know that they had concrete back then. And you go across the world to the Mayans and the Aztecs. And there's just, I've, I'm not going to go on a rant about this, but I've heard something that, and I'm, I don't know much about it, but I, I heard something interesting that there were even pyramids in North America and in America, like the U.S. And there's just a lot that I don't think we know. And it's, it's interesting. It's very interesting history. And it's a, Back your point Wait, of aliens. <laughs> I'm not saying it was aliens. You got the you got the hair for it. <laughs> I just think like that, that our yeah, our <laughs> history can lend towards a good fantasy, yeah. the basis yeah. for for a fantasy series. Yeah. So. And you don't need fucking dragons and tits. I mean, I'm not saying you don't, but you don't. You, you do or you don't. I don't think you need them like George R. R. Martin puts them in all the time, but I'm not knocking him because it worked for him. There were no, I mean, let's give George Martin some credit. I don't think he ever used the word tits in the book. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, Brennan, you want to close this out, sir? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still uh, stuck on that. Um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, John, you, you you said you know it's it's silly that you get into a Twitter beef about ancient Roman politics. I think that's entertaining as hell. <laughs> I think I think that's a that's a much more interesting reason to get into a Twitter beef than about ninety five percent of the other ones you could probably. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so John, before we wrap it up and let you go, uh, are you reading anything right now that you'd like to share? Am I reading anything? I mean, I am reading the Hungarian. I mean, right now, this is a, this is a, one of the books I'm talking about, The Hungarians. A oh, Thousand nice. Years of Victory and Defeat, Paul Lindvai. I mean, I'm also reading, like, because I'm trying to create this, um, I'm trying to create this um, Dungeons and Dragons world that I can take my players through. I'm reading a lot of, like, rule books and, you know, like, I'm doing a lot of nerdery like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm also reading... Uh, Tad Williams' is, um, uh, Tad Williams' is new, like, Tad Williams' sort of classic 80s fantasy series called, uh, the, something about Austin Ard. I don't know if you know that. Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, the Dragon Bone Chair. Anyway, I just reread those, and then I bought, he just, I met him and hung out with him and got to know him a little bit at a, at, uh, the, when I released my uh, last book at, in L.A., and I really liked him, and I was like, I remember liking those books when I was young. I'm going to re- revisit um, them. And it was a trip talking to him, because he's maybe 10 years older than I am. Um, so it's like, we're grown men of relatively the same age. And he, he was, I'm re- I remember reading his books when I was a teenager. But he was maybe like 26 or something when I was reading his books. I mean, they're amazing. But, um, I mean, they're I have a few issues with him, but don't tell him that. But um, I'm, I'm <laughs> reading the um, I'm reading his. He, he just re, restarted telling more stories in that world thirty years later. So um, I am uh, reading that, uh, and, and now 
I think it's called the Witchwood Crown. Uh, it's on my, here's the problem with, I have a Kindle. Here's the problem with the Kindle. Uh, one is, uh, I don't tend to remember the book's titles as much. As when you're reading the book, you know, if you're reading a physical book, you'll, you know, like when it's good, you'll, you'll be halfway into it and you'll be like, oh, and then you'll sort of reevaluate the cover art, you know, and look at the title and sort of like, and then you'll reread the back and be like, okay, all right, all right, I, I see, all right, I'm starting to see where the title comes from or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, but with, with Kindle books, you don't do that. Like you don't sort of like, you, you, you don't get to go like go back and look at the cover art, like whenever you sort of. Especially with fancy books that usually have elaborate art on the cover. So yeah. I'm having trouble remembering it from that. And then I'm doing some, like, reading some um, Hungarian mythology books that I found free. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know anything else off the top of my head. Uh, you seem very just... well read about, um, in, in terms of fantasy series. Are there any fantasy series you would recommend that you think maybe people uh, have missed? Um, you know, I, I, it's funny cause this is the first one I've read in, in forever. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, um, uh, I did, but I used to get, get sent quite a few of them when I, when I, my fantasy series came out and they thought I was going to be a big deal. Um, uh, I, I, you know, the ones I really should stick with or that stick with me are probably, um, there's, there's a, he's not really well known, but Daniel Polanski has a book called Lowtown, or um, the, the UK title um, was actually better. It was called The Straight Razor Cure, which was a really great sort of crime noir meets fantasy. Um, uh, I like China Mieville's um, The Scar, which is amazing. Anything by China Mieville. He sort of, he straddles all sort of genre lines. Uh, horror, horror readers would love him. Um, am I re- I'm, let me think if I'm reading any, I've read any horror recently that I'd really like. God dang, uh, I just, I'm always just sort of like, I do shit and then so much water comes under the bridge. It's hard for me to recall like what, what I've been. I don't think I've read any, any, re- any horror recently. Um, it's been a while. Have you read Ghoul by Brian Keene? Uh, you know, I don't know if I've read that one. Um, I, I, you know, I, I read The Rising. I read the, the follow-up to The Rising. I read The City of the Dead, the one where they're on the ship. I read Conqueror Worms, Kill Whitey. I bring it up because that's the one I'm about to dive into. I don't think I've read that one. I know the premise of it, and I know it's been made into a movie for like, Chiller TV or something, but I, I, you know, it's been a while since I've read. It's just I don't, I don't know why. It's just, you know, there's so many authors, man. Oh, what about you, Brennan? You got any? You always read like 12 books at the same time. So what are your? <laughs> um, uh, I just wrapped up Ghoul. Um, I loved it, and we're gonna be talking about it in a future episode, depending on how fast Patrick can get through it. Um, so um, I mean, go. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading uh, Hunger on the Chisholm Trail um, by Mike Ennenbach. It's the second book in uh, Deathhead's Press, their uh, Splatter Western series. Um, this this one has Wendigos. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, I, the, the, my thoughts exactly. <laughs> and I'm definitely reading other stuff, but I don't know what the fuck it is right now. Um, so... <laughs> 
Oh, oh, I, I got that. The last one, I, the last horror book I really read from cover to back was um, was Nathan Ballingrude's Wounds. Oh, okay, that's a popular one. Uh, that has the the um, novella, uh, the visible filth, which they sort of named the um, they named that movie Wounds, so they changed the title of his, his collection. Nathan Ballingrude is an amazing fiction uh, short story and shorter fiction writer. Um, he's he's one of the best guys working out there right now. Oh, and Brian Evenson, um, I read his uh, his uh, last days. I don't know if you guys ever want a super amazing short novel, but Eat the Last Days is fucking crazy good. <laughs> That's good to know, man. Uh, Got to look out for that. Is um, where can people follow you? Don't know where it's going with the. I, I am on Twitter too much at, <laughs> at John Horner H O R N O R. It is almost like horror, not quite. Um, and you know, I'm a, I'm think I'm really thinking about. I'm not gonna suggest people uh, follow me on. Facebook or become Facebook friends because I'm really considering just deleting that. I don't, <laughs> I don't like idea. it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it, and also don't use it. I mean, mm. you know. um, and then I I am on uh, Instagram, but I'm private there, and I only like you have to request to be to follow me, and I'm I'm just I don't know. I, I need a space that's like not so much book related and, and everything. You know. I hear you. Um, so this episode will air July 2nd, that's next Thursday, um, but that's really not very far away from your recent book that was released, so, um, check out Murder Ballads and other horrific tales, uh, check out his older stuff that we were just talking about, can't go wrong, so thank you for your time, John, we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you guys for having me. I really, I'm sorry if I'm just like all over the place uh, chattering at you, but I really appreciate it. We I, honestly, I feel like that. we had to cut a lot of interesting conversations short, so we we would love to have you back sometime. Yeah, well, I'll be happy to. I'll be happy to. Whenever you guys like me, just like, oh shit, we had a guy back out. Just call me up, and I'll <laughs> I'll show up and chatter on at you about something. And unless you have to watch an older, uh, well, a movie, Tales from the Crypt from like 1995 or whatever it is <laughs> which is not a bad thing to like which, watch yeah. i mean <laughs> it's yeah, man. no it's awesome it has great fucking practical effects yes like, it, it's great it is really great it also holds up and it's a pretty progressive uh writing like so, like you know in the social mindedness of it, it it's good it's a great it's a or is a hell of a community. I mean, we, we, we always have that progressive-minded attitude, right? <laughs> when, when I was younger, I'll make this super quick. When I was younger, there was this farm that we used to go to every Halloween time because they would deck it out with everything. There's a corn maze, and the Crypt Keeper was always at one part of that maze. Creeped me out. So as a <laughs> child up until kind of now, man, like I'm a little creeped out by him, but always intrigued. Yeah, and that yeah. laugh is killer. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, you know, that comes from the EC Comics stuff. And the whole, all of his dumb plays on words like ghouls and boys, you know, like all that. <laughs> <Smart>. <laughs> yeah, yeah like uh, like Brent said, 
you're welcome to come back anytime you want, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Absolutely. sir. Absolutely. Have a good night. Have a great time watching that movie with your son. All right, man. Thanks. Bye, guys. We are in your mind. We are all around. You are now leaving Deadhead Space.